Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. Hey, what's going on, man? I am just trying to avoid boarding the fail boat. Really? Well, not really for me, but I'm seeing, you know, everything I read is, is this is going down and X startup has failed and a lot of different stuff. And, you know, one of the earliest episodes that we ever did here on Startup Hustle was why do startups fail? Now, I thought we could follow that up because we've learned a lot over that time, not necessarily firsthand, but there are a lot of different reasons why startups fail. And with that, much like they told us in history class growing up, the reason that we study history is to avoid failures of the past. So are you ready to discuss failure, Matt? I am ready. I'm ready to embrace it and fail fast. (laughs) Okay. Well, we will try to fail within the allotted time that we give ourselves for recording this. So would you like to start or because we have so well, let's give a little backup here. So, you know, there's a research firm called CB Insights that provides a lot of information and just overall research that a lot of different firms, news and media art, uh, outlets use. And that's actually, you know, as I was looking for, you know, topics to discuss. And, uh, you know, I'd gone back down our old list and I was looking for reference articles. And usually our, our reference pieces are comprised of multiple different sources. But I found this article and it's got a top 20 list of reasons that that uh, startups fail. And honestly, I think they nailed it. So I'm going to let yeah. you start with number 20. Okay. Dun, 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 dun. Are you ready? Mm hmm. It's everybody's favorite buzzword, failure to pivot. I mean, and you know, they, so what, what do they have this listed as, as, as the, the seven, 7% of failure of startups resolves in failure to pivot. Now that's pretty low down the list, but I mean, why do you think people fail to pivot? Do you think it's stubbornness? Do you think it's something different? I think it's a mixture of all of those. Like I have a friend that uh, has this business that I, I kind of, I don't want to really pick on them too much in case they were listening to this, but they, <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're selling a service, but they had to build all this software for um, managing that service. Well, instead of just selling the service, they should just go sell their software to other people who already do this service. You know, it's like they, they built all this intellectual property. They might be better off if they just took the software they built and actually go sell the software instead of trying to sell the service that they're trying to do, right? It's like, for example, it'd be like them opening a restaurant and they had to build like all the point of sale system for the restaurant. Like they figure out like, screw the restaurant. I'm just going to go sell the point of sale system. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think failure pivot comes a lot from, um, you know, s- some of us are taught that you make a plan. And you stick to it. And 
You know, I think if you if you fail to pivot, then you are sometimes lacking agility. And I've seen it occur a lot. Just like I, I, I use the word stubbornness. I think sometimes people just don't want to accept that their original idea or what they were talking about or intent on doing wasn't going to work out. Okay, next. Burnout. Yes. Oh, my God. I think... I mean, you know, we've always mentioned that one of the attributes that we would look for before investing in a company is the passion that the founders or the people had for solving the problem. And the reason for that is passion often crushes burnout. But if you're not passionate about what you're doing, uh, when things get tough, it's it it starts to sizzle your drive. Absolutely. You got to be pat. You got to get up every morning and be remote, re motivated to do this shit because it's a grind. I mean, I think anybody who starts a new startup, you know, they think that, oh, a year from now, I'm going to be like Instagram and sell it for a billion dollars and whatever. And like, nope, you signed up for 10 years of fucking hell. Get ready. And, you know, that's the thing, too, is is a year later, you're not going to it's not going to be popping. You're not even going to have a fucking product that works. In a True. year from now, most likely. True. True. You're still going to be writing code and building shit and trying to figure out how to even run a business and have like one customer. You sound like you know that from firsthand, Matt. Yeah. And a lot of our customers at FullScale. And did you know this? Today's episode was brought to you by FullScale.io. We help people build software and we watch them do dumb shit when we try and tell them not to, right? Sometimes. Sometimes yeah. we do. Sometimes. We could say that. We could say this episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by FullScale.io, helping your startup not fail. Yeah, I mean, that's our goal. And, you know, we try and help people with things that we know and lessons and whatever. But, yeah. Okay, next on the list. Dun, da, da, da. Didn't use network. So this is referring that's an interesting to... One. Well, this is this is prefer- referring to people not using the tools and the network at hand, you know, like not getting their investors involved or trying to, you know, one of the things, one of the, the strongest points of having smart money or good investors around you is that they can put you in front of other people that might be able to speed up your sales process. Thoughts? I think you... People are afraid to ask for help. Yeah, I think that's it. And then sometimes they just don't want it. And yeah, they can't really even explain why. Well, it's so, like, oh, Uncle Joe knows somebody who would be the perfect customer. But man, I don't want to call in that favor. Okay. True. Just stop your business. Close it. Whatever. If you don't want, I mean, if you don't want to hustle and go get customers, you might as well just quit. True. All right. Next. Legal challenges. Oh man, these can come from a number of different different angles. (laughs) You have a little experience with this. I do. I mean, there's a lot of companies that fail for this, uh, from this that, you know, it's where business partners don't agree, right? Like, like you and I own full scale together, but if we don't agree on where we're going and what we want to do, it can cause a bunch of problems. Next thing you know, we're suing each other or whatever. And like shit happens all the time, all the time. And, you know, some of this stuff, too, is created from improper setup, um, not understanding or having the foresight to 
set up the business in an appropriate way that will make sense for tomorrow's problems, not just today. I think one of the things that I see people do a lot of is they're busy preparing for the sunny day scenarios and they don't give any they don't give enough credence to what happens on the days that it rains. And you know, having grown up with an attorney for a father that was eventually programmed into my head. Yeah. You know, like I mean, I can hear my dad, you know, Matt, a, a good contract provisions for the good and the bad. Yeah. You know, and that's well, that's another big one. Like in the early days of InSolutions, we had a partnership with another company we thought was going to resell our software. We put everything on that and then they didn't produce right and that's an example where how we structured that legal agreement with them or didn't you know if we had certain guaranteed things that could happen or not like you know different kinds of partnerships and legal agreements reseller agreements affiliate agreements all these things if your company is you know really depends on those if things don't go the right way it can be really bad yep like All suppliers, right, think about suppliers for certain types of businesses. Yeah, sure. All right, number 16. No financing or investor interest. This seems like That'll this should be go. number one. <laughs> well, we're getting there. But I mean, I think that's, you know, I think a lot of people start something and they think that, I mean, I see it. I see it and I hear it all the time. Well, we're going to raise 5 million bucks from who? My mom. You know, I think, I think, <laughs> I think that your mom has not funded my last ten offers. By the way, nope. So I mean, it's but but that's the thing is is I think that what I more so than when than investor interest, I see people wait too long. Mm -hmm. You know, they're I, I'm talking to people and they're they have six weeks of runway left and they're just talking about raising money. I'm like, you're fucked. Yeah, it's over. It's over. Raising money sucks. Like and a lot of, you know, a lot of founders are more like me. They're maybe they're product people. They, you know, they're the mad scientists. They want to go build a product or whatever. And so they don't, they don't also don't put the time into trying to raise money and they wait till the end and then they can't get anybody interested and whatever. And it's like a full-time job to raise money. If you're going to have a, a startup that really is dependent on outside capital, it's a lot of work. Okay, uh, next, number 15, failed geographic expansion. Um, I mean, you see this a lot with franchise models and other companies. So they get good at doing what is right there in front of them. And then they try to branch out. And the problem is, is when you do that, you know, fighting a war on two fronts is, it's challenging. And mm -hmm. it requires more thought it requires more communication it requires travel and you know it just when you start to spread things out um you know and that's one of the things you know as we've talked about because you know our future plans at full scale involve expansion into markets that are outside of the one that we're in and because of right. that um we've you know when we haven't even done that yet but we're doing everything we can right now to prepare for how we will or would do that. We've built our own management system and we're talking about basically creating an owner's manual. And that's hard to do. You know, that's hard to do. It's, well, it's easy to create the manual. It's, well, it's not easy, but it's, it's not 
easy to get people to follow it. The more steps you have in processes, the harder they are to execute. And overall, doesn't surprise me that's on the list. All right, next. Well, hey, hold on. I got I got some good examples of this one. Play um, mommy. So you know, for full scale, it's probably pretty low risk for us to go into a new geography because we're not necessarily hiring new employees in those geographies, right? But think about somebody like Bird or Uber or Lyft or whoever. They're like, oh, we're crushing it in San Francisco. We got to buy 10,000 scooters and we're going to Las Vegas or whatever the next city is. It takes a lot of capital to go buy all those scooters and do all this stuff or hire a bunch of people. And then if it doesn't work, you're in a lot of trouble. And then think about somebody like Bird or, or whoever that was trying to do that in 100 cities at one time. That's crazy. And we, we had this problem at Venn Solutions because we were doing services where we would take pictures of people's cars for them. And we ended up having a few employees in different cities, which was great. It worked okay until one of those people quit. Like the one guy we had in Denver to quit. Now what do we do? Uh, Matt, you're going to Denver for the next few weeks. You're living in an apartment there until we hire somebody. Yeah, that's Did that fun. actually occur? Yeah, right. Yeah, it happened. You moved to, you went to Denver? Yeah. Nice. That happened. I mean, it's moving between different geographies and, and the, the people, you know, if you have to have people on the, the boots on the ground there, it's hard. And then what happens if that person quits and whatever, and it's tough. You know, I think what, what, what becomes challenging there is, you know, you end up with six different cultures. Sure. I mean, you can end up with, and I've seen this cause I used to manage a chain of retail stores and, you know, there, I, I worked with 18 different locations and, you know, some of those, I mean, they all had different personalities and, and cultures around them, which, it, you know, the more and more you get of that, the difficult, more difficult it is to uh, maintain. All right, yeah. next. Score. Okay. Number 14 on the list is lack of passion. Well, I mentioned that earlier. So, yeah, that was kind of I mean, similar to the burnout issue well i mean that's the thing and that's that's why that's why i think you know passion is so important because if you don't have it you just don't get through the hard part you don't get through the hard times right it's just it's pretty simple i mean i don't even think that one requires a whole lot of explanation it's just as you know startups and business especially early stage stuff it doesn't come with an owner's manual and it will test and try every part about you as a human. So if you're not passionate, you ain't getting through it. Yep. All right. Am I next? Number 13. Pivots gone bad. <laughs> yeah. So la a lack of a pivot and then a pivot gone bad. Now I see, I think I see this easily. It doesn't surprise me. This is higher up on the list, but I would say I see this more than anything else. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I think a pivot is sometimes important. It's also a sign that something ain't going right. I mean, why else are you pivoting? Well, I mean, it could be, you might want to be taking advantage of an opportunity that you didn't foresee the first time. But you don't often hear, hey, this company's killing it, so they're going to pivot. Well, some example of this is think about Twitter. They, you know, Twitter hasn't changed, but they did a little pivot where they kind of started a second product, which was Vine. Remember? Remember Vine yeah. videos? 
Yeah. It worked well for a year and then they shut it down. It didn't kill them though. Right? But sometimes when people do this stuff, it kills them. They they try and do something else and then that fails. And because that thing fails, it may kill their original business as well. I'm I I can't even remember the name. Uh okay, yeah, I can. I think it was Whipster, which was a a site that we used to create feedback for videos that we had created. And they, uh, you know, this had its standard, you know, like 20, 40, $60 a month pricing. They did something that made our pricing go up about 300%. It was high. And I said, yeah. fuck this, man. I, 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 I wasn't even getting 50 bucks a month out of this, much less 150. So we quit. Uh, it was a couple of weeks later that uh, we started getting emails, literally got an email from the founder that clearly went out to everybody. And it was basically saying, hey, we fucked up. Yep. We shouldn't have changed the way we were doing things, our pricing, our approach and all of that. Would you consider coming back? And that just, I, you know, that always stuck out in my head because that wasn't necessarily that that was they made a slight pivot, but they also pivoted their pricing. And you know, like I don't, I, I wouldn't have minded if it was if it was mild, but I mean, it doubled our pricing. Yeah. It changed a whole lot of stuff, and they were clearly, clearly on the ropes trying to recover from that. Right. So, are you next? Because I think you have some. I think you have some understanding on this next one. Disharmony among team and investors. Yeah, my business partner's an asshole. I don't like him. And that makes wait, it hard. Wait, 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 wait. The current one or the ones from the past? Both? I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I mean, I had this problem before. I, I had a, you know, another co-founder and had some problems and have to figure out how do we split ways. And, you know, that can be ugly. So it's... They can be really tough. I had a couple other business partners that were, you know, shareholders and they didn't understand even what it was the hell we did. So it's like every time we have a meeting with them, they were just completely useless. Um, waste of time. So they can be it can be exhausting to have partners you don't get along with or investors that are just a waste of your time or call you every day, want to know when they're gonna get their money back, like they're the freaking mob or something. Like it's awful. See, so, you know, the situation you're referring to, though, you had five people and one of them had an issue and it was almost a, it was almost a combination of the legal setup. It, right. Yes. Like, there was legal that, problems, that, too. Yeah, because, you know, and that's what I see a lot of people do in the beginning. You talk about disharmony amongst team and investors. I think one of the things that uh, that I see a lot of people doing in early stages is they're throwing equity around like it's Oprah yes. giving away free shit. Like, yes. you get 10%, you get 10%, you get 15%, everybody gets a percent. And, you know, that whole that whole thing is is that's going to lead that can lead to disharmony amongst teams and investors. And when you say investors as well, like uh, I've seen people kind of paint themselves into the corner with their cap tables to the point where, you know, you got someone that's getting 15 percent and now you're trying to get someone to put a million dollars into your into your business for 15 percent. And they're looking at this going, wait a minute. You want me to put a million bucks in, but you got this dude over here that makes that it has a replacement value of five grand a month, and he's getting fifteen percent. 
Yep. You know, just different stuff. It yep. could just be, I mean, and, but the problem is, is once that disharmony gets moving and, you know, another thing too, is like sometimes, and I think Matt, you've alluded to this when we've talked in the past is, is at some point, if you're, if you do well and people start realizing what the value of that equity is worth, it can create a completely different type of discord. Right. I mean, wasn't that, wasn't that an issue? And and I'm sorry, I'm not trying to get you to like spill all the beans and relive the whole Venn solutions thing. But but the reason is, is at some point, some people are like, oh shit, I could cash out of this for $10 million. I don't think I want to do this anymore. Yeah. What's funny is when, when everybody starts a business and it's early stage, nobody cares that much about necessarily equity and stuff like that either it's not as much on the forefront. But then as soon as everybody figures out the company's actually worth something and they can say, oh, my percentage is worth X millions or X hundreds of thousands of dollars or whatever, then all of a sudden people get more catty about it and they want they want more, they didn't get enough, somebody got this, why didn't I get this, blah, blah, blah. You get a bunch of drama. Okay, am I next or are you? Um, I think you're losing focus. And that's well, that's 11. interesting you say that. Yeah, I was going to say that's interesting you say that. That is number eleven. I mean, this is this is natural. I mean, this is, you know, and that's and that's the thing is I think that, you know, regardless of the state of your success, uh, we've even done a recent episode about finding your focus. Um, yeah, I think it's important to, you know, really at certain times, and I, I do this to myself too. And you know, like sometimes I'll go down 10 things and I'm thinking these are all valid ideas. You can't do all 10 of them. Yeah, you and I had one of those discussions recently. I'm like, that sounds like a great idea, but we make a shitload of money off these other things. Should we focus more on those? Right. And and so, but that said, that's where good partnerships and open communication, because we dropped that. Like, and by the way, like that was just one of the things is as, and I don't mind sharing about that. So um, you know, over the last couple of years, we've built a management system for full scale that helps us with recruiting, assessing, retaining and employing people. And on top of that, we also own gigabook.com. If you were to if you were to push them both together, you would have a pretty reasonably effective uh, remote team management tool, which right now would be a really fucking valuable thing to have in the market. The problem is, is it would take us a lot of time, effort, energy, and everything. And, you know, I think Matt, both of us, as we've both gotten older, we've, we've acknowledged to each other the, and this is hard for me because, well, for both of us, we both have entrepreneurial ADD on some days. It's like, you know, I, I want to, I mean, I literally said, well, let's be, we need to be good at a couple things and be great at them. And then we'll see what else falls out of the mix from that. So, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, at losing focus, I would put that more around like trying to do too many things. Mm-hmm. And we've talked to so many people, like even Roy from Healthy Hip Hop, um, you know, when we f- made our first investment in that, I told him, I said, Roy, I, I only want to do this with you if you're going to focus on being good at one or two things, because right now you're trying to be good at six. Yep. And he said, um, he, you know, Roy's like, oh, man, he calls me Deco. He's like, Deco, you know what, man, that's the greatest advice. And we got we've got good at a couple of things. And all of a sudden that's in tech stars. It's got a bright future. It's going forward. So, yep. 
Now, now speaking of which, some products uh, it, with number 10, some products are mistimed. Absolutely. I mean, they just are. Just get bad timing. Um, you know, right now amidst COVID-19, if your new event ticketing startup just yes. launched. Or anything to a travel or travel. tourism. Yeah. Oh, that shit's dead. You're done. I mean, we've talked to people about that. So, you know, I mean, even people with well-established businesses, it's, Airbnb just laid off 1,900 people. Hey, um, I was been wanting to talk to you about this. I think we should start a movie theater. I'm in. Are you in? I'm all. I'm all in. Can I we gotta get find someone to five million dollars. Gotta find your mom. We gotta. Well, I thought that was coming from your mom, and also, so we'll get them, my mom and your mom to go halfers. Okay. And the rest of the family to raise another five million, and yeah, opening a theater. But no, I mean that's a good point, and it's you know sometimes these things you can't help it. I mean, you mentioned bird earlier. Mm-hmm. Like birds fucked. Oh yeah. I mean, they are. They just are. They're like. They, I mean, they were already having some issues, bird and lime, with that whole business model, and now suddenly there aren't people anywhere. Nope. Nobody's riding scooters anymore. And you know, like now with this though, the flip side of this coin also yields vast treasures and resources. Yes. Because there are some people that a few that ninety days ago might have been hearing from investors. I don't know if the timing's right on this. Well, I got gotta... now all of a sudden now all of a sudden those investors are running behind that rocket that's taking off for the moon, waving the check, going, Hey, well, I, I got a I've got an example of this, and it's a real small scale example. Just before we got on to record this, I was talking to my pool guy who's fixing my swimming pool. I asked him how his business Again? is doing. And he's like, dude, I can't keep up. Everybody's at home and they want to swim in their pool. I was like, oh, that makes sense. And there's so many things you don't think about, like the winners and losers. We talked about that, right? Like he ended up being a winner. Everybody wants to swim in their pool. So I have a question. Did he did he commend me for the repair job that I did on the pool robot and trying to get that moving? Uh, yes. Yeah, he did. He did? Yeah. And he so the pool's open if you want to come name. over this weekend. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure you're Yeah, he said, Matt, you did a great that. job. He specifically I mean, most said, of the Matt, time I you do. did an awesome job. Okay. Well. Number nine, <laughs> ignoring customers. Well, that, and this the, is a good well, one. Why does, in, why, in, why does the business exist? It's not to and, ignore your clients, users, and customers. What goes along with this is really listening to them. You know, we, you know, just this week at, at Stackify, I was digging into some specific stuff with customers and it was this eye opening, like, oh, wow, I didn't realize this, this, and this were working this way. Didn't know. And uh, I mean, that's one of the hard things about, especially creating a software product or anything is you, at some point in time, you are in your own little kind of bubble and you forget about how your customers perceive your product, how they use it all that kind of stuff. And you really got to continuously always talk to your customers and get that feedback from them. It's really important. So I, I think this has a couple sides to it. I think that obviously ignoring your customers can lead to a level of disconnect that is going to cause them to not be your customers. But I think a lot of times when, you know, you mentioned with software products and stuff like that, if your customers are usually telling you what you need to do and what you need to build and how you need to be successful. 
and often it often goes ignored. Mm-hmm. Um, just meaning like, you know, I, I say, listen for that echo. I think one of the things when it comes now on the flip side of, of that as well, I think you have to be careful over listening to your customers because it's easy to hear one or two people say this needs to do this, 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 or this. And now you're down the rabbit hole chasing something that might not have yeah. a big effect. That's on that your, focus your, thing. It's back right, to focus. Right. Yeah. And I think that, ch- and, and well, what, and ch- what chasing waterfalls, is that that TLC song? I love that song. I know, but you're not supposed, don't go chasing waterfalls, man. But no, the point is, is with, with that is oftentimes, you know, you will hear one bit of feedback and you're like, shit, we got to do this all differently. Yeah. I think what, what you have to do when it comes to, to listening to your customers is said, listen for that echo. And then also think is your course of action is what you're doing. Is it going to do something to help you get new customers, keep the ones you have? And are the changes or improvements that you're making for the greater good of the entire body right. of your customer base? And if if those things exist, then you're probably in the right direction. Remember, features need to have advantages and benefits or they're not super useful. Yep. All right. I'm taking this next one, man. Okay. Number eight, poor marketing. God, this is frequent. So Matt, you mentioned earlier, you, you often refer to yourself as, as a product guy. Yep. I am a product guy. And, and because of that, I've seen time and I'm going to, I'm not picking on you here. We've, uh, we've offered to be open and transparent. You don't always enjoy the sales, the sales part of stuff. Right. And the marketing side of it. Now, at the same time, I've seen you do some really brilliant marketing things. Like, for example, for those of you listening, Matt, when I first met him, laid out an entire content marketing strategy that two two and a half years later is what you get about a million visits a month to the Sacrify blog. Yeah, that's right. So that was, I mean, that shit, everyone's trying to do that. But I think in regards to poor marketing is you know, either trying to do too much yourself, getting stuck on the wrong paths or not looking for the right kind of guidance. And, you know, with marketing, I have three simple keywords and things that there's, here's three simple words for successful future marketing, test, test, test. You got to just test it all and see what's working don't be afraid to jump off of the wagon train that isn't producing. And if you are not someone or you don't have a company, see Matt, you mentioned having good business partners. I find, I think I have, I bring skills to the table when it comes to marketing and that helps our business. And if I wasn't able to do that, I need to find someone else that's good at it or accept the fact that we're probably not going to sell shit. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Marketing is important. Any other, any other comments? Um, no, but I think this rolls right into our next item, which is uh, number seven, a product without a business model kind of goes right along with this. It's like yeah. you build something Ooh. that you don't know how to sell it. It rolls right well, into and this then I problem. Think also, well, I think also too, and you know, I've, I, I've mentioned in the past, so my brother-in-law is an ER doctor and he had this great idea years ago for a medical ID inside an iPhone. And he said, this could really like, 
change a lot of people's lives. And I said, yeah, but dude, there's no business model around this. And he said, well, this could save insurance companies a lot of money and a lot of this and a lot of that. And I was like, dude, five years later, when they're listening to you, you're going to be broke, broke, broke. So that wasn't, I mean, I, you know, it's like I said, there's, there, there wasn't necessarily a business model that went with it. And then a lot of times when it comes to, uh, especially with product, product, or other things like, you know, they, things come to, to market, you know, and they're, they're a labor of our own love and passion. There's something that we knew how to build or wanted to build or something we were passionate about, but there's no business behind it. Right. Yep. I mean, do you, do you run into that a lot? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, um, it, it's easy to build products you know, it's back to that mad scientist thing. Like, you, you know, it's fun to build a product, but then it's a whole nother thing to figure out, okay, how do we scale this? How do we sell it? How do we talk to customers? How do we market it? Like make it into an actual business. That's a whole different right. problem. No, I agree. I agree. And like I said, I think that, that one of the things that with small business owners that they find themselves, the, the predicament they find themselves in is they decided to start a business based around something they were passionate yes. about and something that they needed to do. And then all of a sudden they're like, shit, I don't know anything about, I, I don't know anything about running a business. I don't know anything about marketing. I don't know anything about acquiring users or customers. And uh, that's, well, that's a problem. All right, I'm letting you take this next one because I know that you will enjoy it. Oh, I'm ready. A user's unfriendly product. Un user unfriendly. Yeah, so it's that bad user like, experience. A product with a bad user experience. Look, you can have the greatest. You can have the greatest anything if it if it violates Matt DeCourcy's rule one, which is is this annoying. If the answer is yes, people won't use it. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's got to be do you easy think to that, use. What, I mean, do you think that that's the, do you think that that rule one is solid? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about it, people. If you're using something and this is, you know, whether it's a software product or something, you know, it's, it's got to be fast. And for, for those of us that are old enough, I remember the, I remember a day when nothing was assembled. You would get a bike for your kid mm -hmm. or for yourself and spend three days putting it together Damn to the slow. point where you were, where well, depends on what you got when you get a million parts for something, right? And now things often come largely assembled or put together. I think that with software and online products, any apps, web apps, any of that, I think it's all about onboarding. Um, we realized that about halfway through our timeline at Gigabook and we created a process called Smart Start, yep. which would, and when we did that, we lowered our support requests by 90% the day we turned that on. Mm -hmm. And that's because people entered the software platform already set up to use the account. Yep. And, you know, and it took a lot of work. We basically had to stop progress on everything else we were working on for six months to get that right. Yep. But when we did, the product became very self-sufficient and it, and it reduced frustration and increased. And some other things too, is just like, and, you know, I mentioned Gigabook, it's when you have something that's fully customizable, that means there's a lot of switches, bells, whistles, and stuff to set up. And that's not what everyone wants to spend their time doing. So, okay, we're into the top five, dude. Are you ready? I'm ready. 
Okay, number five, pricing and cost issues. Dun, 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 dun. This will be the death of many, many people. Okay, so look, sell more, spend less, or do both. If those first two things are recurring in reverse order and you're selling less and spending more, dun, 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 dun. So what are your comments, Master Watson? Pricing can be really difficult. Um, You know, at Stackify, that's one of the challenges we have is we kind of have a platform that does a bunch of things and trying to figure out how we charge for it is complicated because there's not, you know, the simpler the thing, like, you know, Gigabook is an example. It's like fairly simple. It's, you know, $10 a month, $20 a month to use or whatever it is. It's pretty simple. But you get into some of these more complicated products, it can be very difficult to figure out how to price them and becomes harder for your sales team to figure out how to explain it to your customer. It just adds a lot of confusion. And uh, you shouldn't have to explain a whole lot of it. Yeah, that's the point. You know, like if you have an overly complex pricing scheme, uh, it's going to drive people away. It turns into an enterprise sale that, you know, people don't just go to your website and click and buy for sure. Yep. And some of these things are easily handled too. You know, we've used Gigabook as a couple different examples. A Gigabook is um, we, our subscription rates are charged on that platform based on the, the number of things or people that you're taking bookings for. But people found that confusing and sometimes would look at the pricing and they would say $10, uh, $10 per user. And they thought it would mean $10 per customer. Oh yeah. Like every client, like if they had 10 clients, it was going to be a hundred dollars a month. And they're like, shit, no, this is way too expensive. So, um, we made a, a remarkably simple and straightforward one minute explainer video. And we put a calculator right there on the homepage. Yeah. And, and we realized through listening to our customers, listening for the echoes and trying to figure out the who, what, where, when, and why we answered those questions like right away. Now I mentioned earlier that smart start st- cut down our support inquiries by 90%. The remaining 10% were around pricing mm-hmm. and you could just see it. Cause we have a live chat and people would get on there and they'd say, I don't understand the pricing. You hear that a couple times a day. The two people that are taking the time to bring that up represent 20 people that said, fuck this and left. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah, Yeah. there's, there's some kind of rule of thumb of that. It's like for every, you know, 10 people, one will, you know, one will respond. One creates content, one or two interact, whatever. Like it's a really low percentage of people that actually give you feedback for sure. And let's well, let's talk about costs on the other side because over the last year, you've at Stackify, you've made significant progress in reducing your one of your largest costs, which is uh, server time, right? Yeah, and that, so really, this comes down to your margins, right? It's it's knowing, understanding your margins, figure out how to reduce your cost, your cost of goods sold, and yeah, for Stackify, it was optimizing how much money we spend on our servers and hosting and stuff like that, which we've cut that in like half of what it was a year ago. Which is significant. Which is tremendous amount of money. Details. Yeah, because you're, I mean, you're, and for those of you that don't know, Stackify processes billions and billions of data points a day yeah. for its clients on how many servers were you using at one point? It's a lot. Uh, I mean, we have well over a couple hundred servers ourselves, for sure. Yeah. Think about, think about that, people. Like, Gigabook has two. Yep. Full scale has one. Yep. 
you know, and like, so hundreds of them. And then some of those things too is, is, you know, I, I mentioned that I say a lot, saving money is making money. Yep. And absolutely. We, so about once a quarter as, as just as a ritual, um, we go through, I just went through a lot of that stuff. Actually, I saved uh, full scale, a thousand dollars a month in recurring billing. And that was through going through and just looking at smart use of things. So whether it's the pricing of your product or whatever you're paying to produce it, I think uh, people that are in product companies right now are learning some supply chain issues. Mm -hmm. um, we had uh, Chris Kovac on and it was just he and I, but we were uh, discussing the food supply chain a few weeks mm -hmm. ago. And he mentioned that he ha he ha they had to rewrite their beef jerky recipe because there was a specific type of sea salt that they would were getting from Europe that is no longer available. Weird. Yeah, but you think about that. So, and I asked him, I said, well, is it, and yes, they have to pay more. Uh, when I was still in Cebu and I was doing the Corona Diaries, uh, I had I had mentioned some comments about specific types of, uh, there was already, uh, there was a lot of uh, mass purchasing and, almost kind of like hoarding of specific types of, of it, it was related to generic pharmaceuticals. Hmm. And a lot of those chemicals and stuff came from Chinese manufacturers. So trying to have the foresight of mm -hmm. possibly not being able to get them, uh, a lot of the makers were getting in there and buying them up and it had driven the cost up. So, yep. Okay, dude, you get number four. All right. Getting out competed. Uh oh. Yeah, and, and this is a hard one because, you know, some of the other things you hear when you have a, a startup is, you know, if we just focus on your product, you know, and your customer and building your best product and don't focus as much on your competition. And, you know, you also hear stuff like that. But, you know, one of one of my examples of this is, you know, at Stackify, we get into head to head competition with some of our competitors. And and this gets into like a bigger enterprise sale. And there's, there's been times where we just got outsold. It's like their salesperson was better than our salesperson. We got out hustled, outsold. You know, our, our talent level of our salesperson got defeated by the talent level of their salesperson. And that happens. Sometimes, well, sometimes you don't have a competitive product. Yeah. I mean, you're, someone's just ahead of you. Yep. They've just, they, and, and your ability to adapt, change, improve. It's not an overnight thing. It's hard. I mean, you you talk about and you know we and even when you look at uh, you know in the past you know we've had people that that are hardware uh, people and they will you know say you know making hardware is hard and their ability to to change something that's out in the field or whatever kind of firmware that might be inside of a device is limited. And that means that some, you know, whatever's out there is out there. And if you're not the best, you're not the best. Yep. Okay. We're down to the top three. Are, Are you we, nervous? I'm nervous. Yeah. Are you? I'm nervous. Are you? You look nervous. You look nervous. Number three, not having the right team. Yep. Absolutely. Doesn't surprise me. No. Does it surprise you to be in the top three? Not at all. No. I mean, and, I, I mean, and this doesn't have to mean like the founders. I mean, it could just be like, I needed to hire somebody to manage X and I just didn't hire them or I hired the wrong person. Like, you know, at full scale, we've hired a couple salespeople in the past. that didn't work out. If full scale failed, we could sit back and be like, you know what? Because we hired so-and-so and 
2018, we got screwed because they sucked. You know, like yeah, and then that's what happened. I was talking, I was talking to our COO about this last night, just because we, you know, our our new sales director has been doing an excellent job yeah. and has been making lots of sales and has us, you know, really going in a forward motion. And our COO, he said, "Oh, it kind of makes me sick thinking about what we might have missed in the past." Yeah, I said, "Well, man." So we're not going to look in the rearview mirror, man. We can't go back. Can't do anything about yeah. that. Let's just, you know, we find, I always say you got to look for a crack. And when you find it, you try to shove an elephant and through that, it. And that's what I mean about the right team is it's not necessarily just the the owners or the founders or the executives or all that. I mean, it can be all the way down. And, you know, at Stackify, we have this issue now. We, we've got a couple people we really need to hire, but, you know, we don't, you know, from a budget perspective, we just can't justify hiring them. But a lot of things would run a lot smoother if we could hire these couple of people and we hired the right people. You know, it, it, it it's, you know, it, it affects the whole business at every layer of just having the right people, having the right team. Well, when you're early stage too, and we've talked about this in the past. So if you have, if there's only five people in your company and one of them's not the right yeah. person, that means 20, 20% of your company's misaligned. Yep. And you know, you, Today's episode of Startup Hustles, sponsored by Fullscale.io, we are literally in the business of helping you find the right team quickly and affordably. Mm -hmm. Like literally have a couple hundred employees because and that really is the problem we're solving. People, you know, when you talk about going to hire software developers or tech talent or anything like that, it's difficult to find well, if, you, if you're not in the business of doing that, you don't have a lot of experience, it is difficult to know what to look for and what not to look for. And, you know, like I mentioned, I mean, we've built a whole business around helping people find the right team yep. and also putting in protective practices that help you pivot out of a decision quickly if you if the, if you thought you had the right person and maybe that wasn't the right person. Yeah. So, you know, and that, that leads, so I'm going to let, I'm going to throw it up near the rim for you for number two. What's number two ran out of cash. That can happen a lot. Uh, that can happen quickly when you're hiring the wrong people. It can. And, and anytime you're raising money, you kind of create this game of chicken. We're like, we raised a series a, we got $5 million. We hired all these people. Our burn rate is 200 grand a month. We've got to grow to this certain stage because, you know, we're going to run out of cash in 18 months. And so either we're going to run out of cash and we're going to raise more money or we're going to run out of cash and have to fire everybody or be out of business like that. And that's the danger that nobody realizes when you, you get into that mode of raising capital is usually it kind of never ends. It is really difficult. Right. So it, a lot of companies that raise cash end up running out of cash. I think running out of cash, I think the the root cause of that in many startups is not understanding that initial path to revenue. Mm -hmm. um, that is, the, if you spend enough time with me, especially if you were talking about your new business, you're going to hear me say that really fast. What's the path to revenue here? Yep. And, and I see, oh man, 70%, 70% of business plans pitches and stuff that I've looked at is grossly underestimating the company's ability to get a product to market and also grossly overestimating its ability to earn and 
gain and build revenue in the beginning. Um, it, you know, I, I'll throw myself under the bus here. We started building Gigabook and we thought that six months into that, we would be earning revenue yeah. two years later and a cup and a quarter of a million dollars later, we collected a dollar. <laughs> like yep. it's actually $8, but you know, the point is, is like, I mean, think about that. Now that was built, you know, kind of riding the coattails of another successful business that I had. So we, you know, kept funding it along the way. But if that had occurred from an initial investment, then we, and we were that far off, well, dun, 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 dun. Yep. Okay. Are it's you easy ready? to run out of cash, man. Are you ready, Matt? It's time for number one. I'm ready. And the award for the number one reason for why startups fail, no market need. So you're saying our movie theater idea is a bad idea. I don't think it's, I mean, I don't know if that's the best example. No, it's probably not. That's a timing issue. Yeah, that's a timing issue. And there is a market need for that. And maybe on some levels coming up soon, there might even be more of a market need for that than ever. Yeah. Uh, just because, you know, I think, like you mentioned, it's timing. But I mean, you, we've spent a lot of time in the past talking about the, you know, like riches and niches. But sometimes those niches aren't that deep. Well, and people build stuff and then then they just can't figure out how to sell it, who the buyer is. They they built it because they thought they understood the problem, you know, like they were all passionate about it, but then nobody else gets it. Nobody else understands the need for it. So, and like, and, you know, actually the- you we were talking about full scale earlier. We talked about you know, we have this internal management system we have have built. And we're like, "Hey, could we take that as a software product and sell it to other people?" But one of the things you and I have discussed is like, well, who is the market? Right. Who who would right. buy this? And then it's like, okay, we're going to raise $5 million. We're going to build this thing. We're going to do all this stuff. And then eventually we figure out like, we never could figure out who to, who we were selling this to. Well, and in that same, in, in that same vein, we were discussing whether that was, whether what we had built was best used as a commercially viable offering, or if it was best suited to serve our own internal needs. Yeah which was the decision that was made was, and, and, the th- and, you know, you look at this. So as we go down the road, we'll still end up with that quote product. Yeah. Internally for sure. But well, the byproduct of the whole process is a more complete usable platform. We can still re-examine the commercial viability later, but focus on what we need right now. And like, really, like, as I made that decision and came down to it, I was like, we're in the middle of a pandemic right now. We lost some revenue. Let's, let's get, let's get that back yeah. before we get messing with anything out start messing with anything else. So, um, you know, another thing with market need is I just think that, that, you know, founders often overestimate the market's desire to pay for anything. And I hear people say, they're like, well, you know, we've got this and we do this. If we could just capture 10% of market share, we'd have a hundred million dollars in revenue. Yeah, People don't, you know, you're in a world where, where shit is largely free online, at least on some level, you're in the, the age of freemium. 
and it's difficult to get people to pay for it. Like you, Stackify has a has a free product that has tens of thousands of users, but it, it, and on some level, isn't it difficult to get some of them to start paying even a small amount? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. For sure. So. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's the same way. And it's the thing is, is, is you will be surprised. You shouldn't be surprised. People are really petty there. I'm not paying eight bucks a month for that because it doesn't do this. It does 99 other things I do, but because it doesn't do this one, I'm not paying shit. Well, and, and the number one problem being the, the, being there no market for it. Part of that comes back to product fit and identifying product fit, who your customer is. And you talk about Stackify. We have a free product called Prefix, and we're actually relaunching it. We're, we're building a whole new version. And we're spending a lot of time right now talking about who, who is the target user? What, are they, what problems are they trying to solve? What, you know, yeah. And not so much about the features and the functions. It's more about why do people give a shit about this thing? Like We're trying to identify the market. And a lot of people fail to do that before they spend too much effort building something. Okay, so in a quick in a quick summary and roundup, and once again another episode of Startup Hustle brought to you by Fullscale.io. Which one of the twenty is the one that you think is is the the one to avoid? Well, obviously, ran out of cash. Okay, we we'll cross that off the list. Don't run out of cash. Not good. I th- past that. What do you think you have to look out for the most? Probably the one that is one of the biggest issues is that product market fit. Um, and that wasn't exactly in the list, but that's kind of like the, the market li- listening to customers, validating the product, all those sort of things. Right. Um, is a lot of people build a product, but they don't know who they're building it for. And it's also really easy to build something and be like, Oh, my 10 friends said this was great. They love it. They would love to use this thing. And then you don't know how to sell it to anybody else. And that advice too. It, product market yeah. fit is really difficult. And um, especially when you're on your own, you're, when you're in your own little bubble and you're really passionate about something, you think it's the greatest thing in the world, but the market is not validating that the market is not telling you that it's viable. Okay. I'm going with two. I'm going to, I, I've got one and then I've got a close I've got a very close second place to that. And I'm going with not the right team. Yep. Um, I, it can be deadly. And, you know, look, sometimes people show up and they interview well and they show up and they don't do a good job. And you're wrong. Mm-hmm. You have to, you talking about the importance of pivoting, you need to pivot out of that decision. Mm-hmm. And you need to get people that help you do the right things. Cause if not, it, you're going to, you, you are starting to now push yourself into eight other things that are on this list that you weren't exposed to that you will be. And then my, my quick second place is I'm going to expand it a little bit. It says poor marketing, but I'm going to put poor sales and marketing. Um, I talked to so many people that are like, yeah, we're going to raise money. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. I'm like, okay, what's your plan for selling stuff? Because really in the end, the best form of non-dilutive capital is revenue. Ding, 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 ding. I mean, dude, I go through this so many times and they're like, well, we need to build it and then we'll try to sell it. Okay, cool. What's your plan for when that occurs? Like, what are you learning between now and then? You talk about like, and and based on, you know, Matt, you and I both have uh, experience as as 
successful content marketers. And two years ago, in full scale, we started publishing articles in the full scale blog related to building software, entrepreneurship, all that stuff, because we knew it would take 18 months for that to mean anything. Yep. And now all of a sudden, now we're getting, we get 20, 25, 20 to 25,000 unique targeted visitors to the full scale site. And it's, I mean, a couple hundred articles later, it was, it was thought about early and it was thought about, you know, we've used the term evergreen mm -hmm. and just try, you did the same thing with the Stackify blog right. and you can't, you can't figure out a sales and marketing process at the last minute. Mm -hmm. It's, there's just too much. Like it's, it depends on who you are and what you do. I mean, I, you know, I'd love to tell you that we have 500 new leads for clients a month at full scale, but we don't. And that's because it's just, that's just not the right. way that that business works. And every works. one of them is really valuable. Right, right. And so, but getting them to do, like getting them to even present themselves is a challenge. So, all right. Oh man, all this failure has me worn out. I think I'm going to probably start ignoring my customers, lose my focus, maybe <laughs> line up a bad pivot. I'm losing passion, maybe move to a different geographical area. I'm going to go I'm jump in the sure. swimming pool. Ah, all right, man. I'll be over soon. All right. See ya. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.